Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word of Life here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I'm so glad you've chosen today to tune in to hear what God is speaking to us in the northeastern part of Oklahoma, and I hope it speaks to you as well. Enjoy. I have an overwhelming, in this place, sense of peace. An overwhelming I want to talk today, and I believe the presence of God has set himself in this room today, in an atmosphere to confirm the word. And I love when he does that, because today's topic in our series, Free or Free, is simply rest. Rest. One of the hardest things, I think, as Americans to do, because we've got to be in control We have a hard time trusting each other, let alone trusting God. And when we truly discover what rest looks like, we will find a freedom to live like we've never experienced before. Because we won't worry. and We won't stress over the things we have no control over. But God will step in and in our trust just deal. And I like it when he does that. I like when he just deals with things. So I want to address that. I want to open today in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. This will be my opening text, but it will not be the text in which I expand on today. But I felt like it set the stage very clearly. And I want to do something uh, a little bit different in the room today, if we can. And I want to stand to honor God's word, and I want to read this together. So everybody, let's stand and honor God's word. It'll be on the screen so we can read the same words if you choose. Isaiah 40, 28, 29, 30, and 31. Just four short verses. And if you'll read this out loud with me, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is everlasting, is the, sorry, if I'm gonna stutter, you can't read with me, I get that. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. There it is. His understanding is unsearchable. Next verse. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's remain standing as I pray. Father God, I I ask in this room today that the words spoken wouldn't be of Jeff, but God, they would be straight from the throne room of God. They would be Holy Spirit-infused, life-changing, driven, gospel-provoking, peace-restoring, and truth-giving words. In Jesus' name, and everybody says, you can be seated. That last verse there, but they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up. Listen to what happens when we wait. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Before I even address any more, watch how this scripture opens up. And it talks about things like uh, the youth growing weary. There's so much in here about young men falling exhausted, 
the picture we have is without the Lord, our endurance does not last. He gives us endurance. He gives us the ability, but that endurance comes from this, waiting. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, like, when's it going to be here waiting? It means trusting. It means hoping. It means having faith in his ability to deliver. One thing I've noticed recently is restlessness. Restless people. These are the people that uh, struggle with trying to find security. They're the ones that struggle with trying to find their place and their home. Oftentimes, when we're restless, it translates to unhappiness. We look at it this way. We're not happy at work, in our marriage, in our, with our kids. Maybe our house isn't good enough, our car isn't fast enough, or, or doesn't smell good enough, or doesn't have the nicest leather, or whatever. It's, it's we're not happy in our community. Oftentimes, it even translates, I'm not happy in my church. But honestly, what happens when I begin to see people struggling with their happiness, I begin to see people that are struggling in rest. They're restless got to be doing. I've got to be going, and they can't just hang back and allow God. And then when things don't begin to perform around them because they're driven by a performance place in their relationship with God instead of in a peace relationship with God, they find themselves growing restless, and therefore they think they're unhappy. Really, it's not unhappiness that we're dealing with. It's our inability to be content in the moment. It's our inability to find rest. Paul addresses it in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in, look at those words, to be content. Why don't you say that I'm content? Maybe you just spoke something into your life today that you needed. Maybe I could close right now and, and address the fact that contentment is what breeds our security in the things of God. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Think about those words. In every circumstance, I've learned the secrets of, secret of, place, of facing plenty and of hunger, of abundance and need. He's saying, I've discovered in this world that I'm living in that it's not about wealth or uh, being poor. It's not about what I have or what I don't have that makes me content. He says this very clearly, and this is waiting on the Lord. He says, I can do all things through him gives me strength. I can endure famine and I can endure uh, abundance. I can endure uh, uh, sickness and I can endure health. But in all of that, I endure, endure it knowing that all things I can do through him because he's the one that gives me strength. My home, my work, my relationships, my circumstances and situations that, I, that I'm in, they are not the things that produce strength in my life. It's Jesus, it's God. So that leads me to my primary text for today's message in the book of Psalm. The book of Psalms, we're going to read Psalm 46. Get the difference there in a little English Bible teaching here. It's the book of Psalms because it uh, compiles several hundred Psalms, but when you read one, it's a Psalm, just, just for what it's worth. And we'll read this. It says in verse 1 of Psalm 46, to the choir master, to the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, 
a song. So think of this as a song. Think about the power of what a song does to us. I heard Kayla mentioning all the way down to find Daniel, not knowing what circumstance she was going to walk into. She was blaring her praise and worship. She was blaring a song. Every morning I tend to wake up. Uh, I can't think of the last time I didn't wake up with a song on my heart. And of course, I'm a little musical, so that helps. But there's this thing about a song. But listen to the song Right here it says, God is our refuge and our strength. And what is he? He's a very present. Think about that. It's not just present, but he is very present to help in trouble. See, we're not guaranteed that trouble won't come. We're not guaranteed smooth sailing. We're not guaranteed crystal clear waters. What we are guaranteed is that he is our refuge and our strength. And more importantly, he is there in that circumstance, in that place. And he goes on here, the psalmist in verse 2 says, Therefore, we will not fear. Say, I will not fear. I will not fear through the though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though that the political issue in our country seems to be dividing people, though I may be in a situation where it looks like tomorrow could be the end of everything. I may be facing sickness. I may be facing uncertainty, but I've got to understand in him, I do not have to fear. No matter what comes my way, no matter what circumstance I am head on running towards, I will not have to fear. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, I won't fear. And then it says this word, Selah. Praise God in that. Think on that. Pause on that, but find a reason to praise God. In verse 4, there is a river, check this out, whose streams make glad the city of God. You could also say, or the church, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Pause. Praise him. Give him worship. Meditate on his goodness, think of him. In verse 8, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Pause. Meditate. Think on those words. Praise him. There's a lot going on here in the realm of of our security, in the realm of who he is, where he wants to be in our place. And so what I want to deal with today, just briefly, is four observations on how to deal with restlessness that we can pull from this, this passage of Scripture. Listen, we all deal with it. We all deal with restlessness, and it's a place, and it's our duty, but it is our trust to find rest in God today. And so opening in this uh, Psalm 46, we see to to the choir master, the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. God is our refuge. Number one, observation, take refuge in God. 
So many times when things get bad, we turn to mom or dad, we turn to loved one, we turn to husband, wife, we turn to, to drugs, we turn to alcohol, we, we turn to so many things when all that God is saying is turn to me, take refuge in me. And when you can do this in finding rest, verse 2 applies, therefore I will not fear. And then it goes on talking about though the earth will give away, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roam and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a period there, but you could say and go right back to verse 2 and repeat, we will not fear. Because God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. I remember a friend of mine, um, I was uh, leading a, a school of ministry, and uh, we were a couple of nights a week for four hours just diving in and hanging out with Jesus and in his word. And it was a powerful, powerful time. Honestly, it's the time in my life that I remember, not that I'm not now, but it's the most I ever felt connected to God. It was the, where my relationship with God was the easiest it's ever been. Now, I think we can relate to that, that our relationship with God is something we're always pursuing, but it's not always easy to pursue. He is easy. He's amazing. The Bible says that his yoke is light. His burden is not hard on us at all. But I was sitting in this place in the time where it seemed like life was good. I was in rest and relationship with God was real. But there was this young woman, her name was Molly, and she wrote this um, I don't even remember what the exact word is, what it's called, but it was this where you read through, it had this negative thing, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm, I may have nothing, I, I, and it goes through all of these things, and it builds up to this end where it's, it's like I am horrific. But what the cool thing is, is you turn around and you read it word for, line by line backwards, and it builds you back up to being seated in Christ. It was a pretty cool thing. And that's kind of how I read this scripture here as we read. Uh, just watch, watch with me as I do this. Verse 1, to the choir master, the sons of Korah, according to Alma. A song, a song. Uh, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved, though the heart of the sea through its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Let's go backwards. So uh, the mountains tremble at the swelling. The waters roar and foam. Therefore, uh, I gotta find it. It's hard to do this. So the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Therefore, we will not fear. The sons of Korah, according to Almoth, the song, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Though these things happen, I will not fear because God is my strength and my trouble or my refuge. Uh, Check this out. God is my refuge and my strength. Crap comes my way. He's my strength. He's my strength. Crap comes my way. God is my refuge. We can turn it around. We can, but ultimately, who is in the center of all of this? Who's at the beginning? Who's at the end? Who's my sustainer? Who's my hope? Who's my joy? It's God. And how? He is my refuge and my strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Along with this line, taking refuge in God, this observation, I I think of Psalm 34, and I love this. You may have heard me talk about this when I talk about the vision and the mission of the church and and dealing with the the, the ease that you see on our logo. Who's, Who's got the doodad? Abigail, can you just go to our logo real quick? And then you'll have to come back here. So we've got our, our, our logo, engage, encounter, equip, and that, that word encounter comes directly from this next passage of Scripture. Okay, you can go back into the, the message, and it's uh, Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see. Does that not sound like encounter? That the Lord is good. 
Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that he is good. When we talk about God being good, it's one thing to say, oh, God's good. I believe it. It's another thing to say, oh, God's good. I know it. I've experienced it. I have physically endorsed, or he has physically endorsed it upon my life. This phrase, taste and see, means there's an experiential aspect of the encounter with God. It's not something that we hope to have one day. It's, it's not something that we look back and, and, and think, that's great, I believe God's real, I believe that, but he's, God is watching us from a distance. No, he is with us and he is an experienced God. He's one in whom we can taste and see, and in so doing, we take refuge in him. Now, the Passion Translation reads like this, drink, drink deeply in the pleasures of God. Isn't that cool? Experience for yourself the joyous mercies he gives to all who turn to hide themselves in him. Hmm. Must take refuge in him. It's interesting that I, I look at God and how he hides us in the presence of our enemies. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He isn't asking us to withdraw from our circumstances. He's asking us to draw into him to take refuge in him. And when we get there, when we get into his presence, and that leads me to my second observation of this, rejoice in God's presence. You've heard that sometimes we need to alert our faces of the joy of the Lord on us. We, we do that. We come to church or we, we say, oh, I love Jesus. He's so good. Now, I, I understand sometimes when we get into the presence of God, peace hits us. And it affects us just with a somberness. Not because we're sad or, de- or we're depressed or we're bored. It's because we found this peace that's just amazing. But we need to learn to rejoice when his presence hits us. Not slouch when his presence hits us. Does that, does that make sense? So I'm a big fan that when the presence of God hits a room and we have that moment where we're like, and, and your face isn't expressing that we need to remind ourselves to take joy in his presence and open up our expressionless face to become expressioned. Check this out. There's a river. This is verse 4 in Psalm 46. There is a river whose joy, or whose streams make glad the city of God. Think about that. There is an experience coming out of the very presence of God that makes the church, his people, glad. Why? It's a holy habitation for the Most High. Verse 5 says, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. We're unwavering when we rejoice in his presence. We aren't moved when we rejoice in his presence because God will help us when the morning dawns. It goes on, the, the nations rage. Kingdoms totter. He hutters his voice and the earth melts. There's wars around us. There's, there's, there's turmoil. There's turbulence. There's all kinds of discrepancies against what we think should be happening all the way around us. But we know that God is in the midst of that person who is made glad by the rivers and the streams that come from the habitation of the most holy God, his most high place. Verse 7 says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our 
fortress. And then as we read earlier in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, we're going to back up just a few verses to Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. I don't think I have it on the screen at the moment, but it says this, rejoice in the Lord always. And it's so important that the psalmist said that, that he repeats himself. He says, again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Wait a minute. Remind yourselves. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. You got to be reminded sometimes. It's one thing to sit there, but then we probably ought to be calling each other this week and say, are you rejoicing? Again, I asked, are you rejoicing? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Are you rejoicing in his presence? Wait a minute. Let me ask again. Are you? It's kind of like saying, hey, how you doing today? I'm good. Are you? Think about that. Are you? Are you really? Why don't we experience that so that when God enters this room and he says, rejoice in me, there is no repeating because we've got it. We should be people of resounding rejoicing, of exuberant praise, of overly uh, expressive emotional content written on our face that says, I am sitting in the joy of the Lord, which we talked about. And he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests requests be made known to God. He's not saying that there are things that are around us that could cause anxiety. What he's saying is bring them to him so that you don't have to be anxious. We have anxiety. I, 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 I look at my checkbook and I, I, in the abundance of God, still find those times when I'm like, how am I going to pay this bill? And I could lose sleep and I could be anxious over things. But really what he's saying is when those things come to you, just tell me about them and ask me to deliver you. And I will. And there's no anxiety in that. Don't let those circumstances that cause anxiety in your life make you anxious. Let those circumstances of anxiety in your life be presented at the feet of God and let him give you joy. Wow. And then he says, and the peace of God. I love this and I pray this often, which surpasses all understanding. His peace is beyond our capabilities to understand. This will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. We've got to rejoice in God's presence. Observation number three, realize that God is at work on your behalf. How liberating is that right there? God is at work on your behalf. Even in our screw-ups, God is still working on your behalf. If he didn't work in our screw-ups, he would have never sent his son, Jesus, to save us from the ultimate screw-up. But you don't understand, I caused this circumstance. I'm the one that got stupid debt and racked up all that credit card debt that is now causing me to have payments that I can't even seem to make. I'm the one that uh, wound up in a drug addiction. I'm the one that went through this. Why on earth would God deliver me? Because he loves you, and that's all that matters. Because he loves you. So we look at this in verse 8, and it says, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. Now, that seems like he's brought destruction, but he also, he, he wipes things out, but he makes things alive. There's this implication there, even though the words don't continue on, because when you see this in verse 9, he makes war cease. 
He breaks the bow and he shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Realize God is at work on your behalf to set you free from your past, from your stupid mistakes. He will deliver you from those things, but ultimately what he's trying to do is bring peace. Bring peace. Isaiah 64, 4 says, For the, uh, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen God beside you who acts, A-C-T-S, it's a hard word for me to say, it sounds like A-X, who acts for those who wait on him or for him. Think of what he is ready and waiting to perform for you as you wait on him. And again, that's not, where are you? Hello, God, I'm waiting. Did you get out of the shower? I'm going to be late to church, Bo. No. Waiting like resting in what he does. Does that make sense? Resting in what he does. And that leads me to my fourth observation. In rest, we rest in revelation. Revelation is just this aha moment. Uh, I'm not endorsing a particular show, but how many in here have watched House? I used to watch it all the time, and there was always that moment in the show when the person was going to die any second now, and House has his aha moment, right? You remember, you, you, you with me? Every, every episode, it was the same exact story. Person comes in, sickness, we have no idea what the sickness is. We run every test under man. He's not getting better, or she's not getting better. There's nothing else that we can do for him. We're going to let them die. And House goes, aha, it must be this. He has that opening moment, that, that epiphany, that revelation. Listen, God is not asking us to be house, but he's saying, why don't you just rest because I am going to reveal some things to you that outside of me you would never know. Verse 10 says, be still and check this out and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. So we've got to get to a revelation of knowing what that means. And unfortunately, not unfortunately, but fortunately for you and me, it's not my responsibility for revelation to come on. It's my responsibility to seek it and do something with it. Paul, in, in, in addressing sin, he says, I didn't, I, I, it wasn't sin until I knew it was sin that it became sin because I knew it was sin. So I couldn't sin anymore. That's a Dixon, Jeff Dixon, a paraphrase. That's, that's the idea of, of revelation in the area of what sin is and what isn't. But he also uh, is living a life in revelation, writing uh, two-thirds of the New Testament. Imagine the revelation that came upon him for things, uh, the realization that God is a, 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 um, an armor for us, and we put on Jesus advancing the kingdom of God forward. And, and Jesus said, or, uh, Paul says things about running a race, and there's revelation in that. And he talks about so many things about revelation You see, God wants to do the same for you and reveal things about you, but more importantly, about him in you. And then to know God, we've got to go back to one of the most powerful, most quoted and and known uh, scriptures in all of the New Testament. That's John 3, 16. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So think about this. Knowing God is knowing his Son, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We think that looks like a scripture that says, 
God loved me so much that he paved the way so I could go to heaven. No. Yes, yes, but, but let's, let's not stop at the surface of what that scripture says. God loved me so much that he paved a way where I can sit in revelation peace and rest because of who he is. When we understand what he's done for me, when we understand what he's done for us to set us free from things, then we sit in a place of rest, but more importantly, we aren't going to have to perish from that stuff but we move into a place of eternal life. And then you read a little while later later in John 17, so we've got this establishment of, of Jesus giving us everlasting life, pointing us, we think, to heaven. But check this out, what John writes about Jesus. He says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes and said, Father, the hour is coming. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have, been, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, And this is eternal life. You ready? So we've just heard Jesus has come to give us eternal life. We wouldn't perish and have what? Eternal life. And then a little bit later, the same author recounts this. He says, and this is eternal life. And so we're like, yes, tell me, would you already? This is eternal life. That you may know that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What is eternal life? It's not heaven. That's, that's a byproduct. Eternal life is to know him. And that word know is like an intimate knowing. It's like a husband and wife knowing each other like they should know anyone else. It's this into the depths of understanding of who God is personally for you. How powerful is that? That you may know the only true God. You may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So in recapping, if you'll put the slide up that just has the four points, Abigail. The slide that has the four points, Abigail. Recapping, look at this. Take refuge in God. This is where I find rest. Rejoice in his presence, there's rest. Realize God is at work on my behalf, that's rest. And then rest ultimately sits in revelation. I like it how God gave me our words for the descriptors for all of this. It worked out for the the action within this. Uh, Well, except for refuge. Take was the action word, but there's our words up there. Listen, ultimately God wants us at peace. We ought to be the most peaceful, loving, kind And ultimately, he doesn't want us restless. Restless causes us to make bad decisions. Restless causes us to get into debt that we shouldn't get into. Restlessness causes us to do things with people in ways that we shouldn't do. Restlessness is the opposite, is the opposite of trusting God. He's wanting every one of us in this room today to no longer be restless. We'll make better decisions. We'll do things more for God. We will step into our destiny and our calling, but ultimately we will find freedom in rest. And I wanted to talk so much in rest out of Hebrews chapter 4 and chapter 5 that talks about rest, but it's completely different rest. That has to do with going to heaven someday. But you know, that's the thing. In restlessness, I don't make those mistakes that uh, uh, cause the, the course to veer off. To veer off course, I'll get the words in the right order. Restlessness veers the ship. Rest keeps it 
laser focused on the end game. And the end game is Jesus. And it's not someday, it's today. It's not somehow he's made a way. It's not emptiness, it's openness. It's freedom. <laughs> well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. If it has blessed you, please click the subscribe, leave some feedback. Uh, should you want to contribute towards this ministry and all that we're doing in northeastern Oklahoma, feel free to go to our website, wlmiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com. Click on the Give tab, and it'll walk you through some steps right there. God bless you, and until next time.